Hello, and welcome to Codish, an exploration of the lives of modern developers. Join us as we dive into topics like languages and frameworks, data and event-driven architectures, and individual and team productivity, all tailored to developers and engineering leaders. This episode is part of our DevLife series. Hello, and welcome to the Codish podcast. My name is Mike Mondragon, and I'll be your host for this episode of Codish. Today, we are speaking with Jeffrey Grossenbach about developer learning and entrepreneurship. Jeffrey, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm currently Director of Product Education at HashiCorp, creators of Terraform, Console, and other cloud infrastructure automation tools. Previously, I was VP of Innovation at Pluralsight Video Training, and before that, I started Peep Code Video Training. I like to describe myself as an entrepreneur, developer, designer, teacher, and athlete. You are well known in the Ruby and open source communities. Many are likely to have heard your smooth radio voice on Peep Code screencasts. Can we start by talking about Peep Code? Yeah, I was lucky to be involved in the early days of Ruby on Rails and right away started blogging, uh, picked up participation in a podcast that uh, was pretty popular, you know, 6,000 subscribers and 100,000 listeners to some episodes. But People kept asking me, well, can you teach us about actually writing code, which is kind of hard to do on a podcast. And I already had been creating short little screencasts for web clients just to show them how to use the software or uh, whatever. And it was part of the early culture of Ruby on Rails to where, uh, you know, Hanmeyer Hansen, founder of Rails, had recorded little videos about Rails features. And so I thought, well, could I make these and, and sell them? So I, I made one about an hour long, put it up there on the web for nine bucks. And lo and behold, people loved it, bought it. And three months later, I quit all my other jobs and uh, did it full time. When I think back to when Peep Code started, I would have never considered watching somebody code on on YouTube. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, the biggest question that people would tell me when I when they asked me, you know, what do you do for a living? Oh, yeah, I sell videos online. People are like, what? You can make money with content online? Whereas now, you know, we hear about YouTube stars who are making a million dollars a month. And um, there are many different ways that people are um, aware of of the value of that. But at the, at the time, it it felt pretty risky, and that's kind of why I didn't quit my job immediately, is because I just didn't even know if it was financially viable. Um, but you know, there was some precedent out there. O'Reilly sold a lot of PDF books that were just you know fifty to eighty pages for nine bucks. So that's kind of where I modeled my pricing, and I thought if somebody could could read a PDF book that's not too long, then hey, maybe they'll pay for a, a video and. Then I also wanted to make sure that I had enough revenue to where I could put a lot of good effort into it. And it was more than just something I squeezed into lunch nights and weekends. And so, um, you know, eventually we were able to buy video equipment, uh, pay animators to make 3D diagrams and uh, other kinds of things in it. And so, uh, yeah, glad, you know, glad to be part of that early on and inspiring to see all the different people doing that kind of thing today in in different ways. Uh, what happened to Peep Code? Well, I mean, we did very well as a company. It was the first like real um, revenue generating company that it started. Although I had some other shareware and little things previous to that, that, that wasn't really a full-time thing, but um, yeah, I mean, revenue went up and up. We got pretty close to about a million dollars a year and 
suddenly people started approaching us to uh, to talk about a possible ap- acquisition. The first one was actually very early on. We took to talk to O'Reilly video publishers, and I have a lot of respect for Tim O'Reilly, all the kinds of things you've done for open source. And uh, he told me, he was like, you know, you're doing a great job. Why don't you just stay independent and, and do what you're doing? So, you know, that was about two years in, but six or seven years in, we actually talked to GitHub about um, a possible situation. And then eventually it worked out with uh, Pluralsight, a developer-focused video training subscription service that was up and coming. And um, that happened in 2013. So, Pretty much all of the peep code content is at Pluralsight, and you can watch some of the the best videos that people still love over there. Um, but otherwise, worked at I worked at uh, Pluralsight for about three and a half years, helping them build out their video content, open source training content, and um, they've continued to do very well with that. That reminds me, you mentioned shareware. I seem to remember you mentioning that. Oh, like right around turn of the century, like you had like a like a Mac app that people were fond of that you were supporting for a long time. Yeah, wow, you have a good memory. Um, it was kind of before RSS and more open data formats. Um, I had the idea that like, well, what if I could just subscribe to all my favorite websites and when they post a new article, I can see what's uh, what's out there to read and. I came up with this software. It was mostly you could write it like a regular expression to kind of find the headlines throughout a web page. And then it could also, if there was a, a data format, it would try to slurp that in. And um, I think I sold it for like 30 bucks a copy. I bought some ad on some ads on some Mac sites. Um, got some good feedback. Corey Doctorow of like Boing Boing actually bought a copy and sent me a bunch of good feedback. But like a number of things in my life, I, I had kind of the, the kernel of success, but then I just didn't really put the effort into continuing it. So, uh, you know, that kind of died out, but it was, you know, it was a good experience at creating a product, getting feedback from people, seeing if it was actually useful and, um, and, you know, actually sh- shipping software. Uh, we were talking about this before, but you had mentioned uh, witnessing the rise of technologies and um, experiencing the IPO when you're at Pluralsight. Do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Like a, a lot of people, I worked for a variety of different startups right out of college. My degree actually isn't in uh, computer science, it's in philosophy, but I had an internship during college and I was, I was writing code. And, you know, most of those companies were small or, or went out of business or didn't, didn't get very big. And so peep code was my first chance to actually feel like I had a revenue generating successful company. And then Pluralsight certainly took that further. Um, when I joined, they were already making tens of millions of dollars in revenue and now they're up to hundreds of millions. Um, but mostly I was able to focus more on the content and we brought over a bunch of the, the live sessions. So sitting down with a developer or designer, giving them a project and working through that live. So it's called play by play. And we, you know, at peak code, we did that with Aaron Patterson and Ryan Singer of 37 signals and, um, Katrina Owen and a bunch of other people, but it was, it was great to be part of a bigger publisher at plural site. We could see 
what people were searching for and what kind of content really resonated. So things like Kubernetes, React.js, Terraform, definitely saw those increasing in popularity um, while I was there. So that was quite exciting. And can you talk a little bit about your role at HashiCorp right now? In 2017, I uh, ended up moving on from Pluralsight and you know, it was kind of a, a point in my career to where I hadn't really had to look for a job in 10 or 12 years. And so, you know, very lucky in, in that way. And, you know, there's always this feeling in education of like, well, I'm not doing real programming because I'm just teaching and, and writing demo apps. So do I want to be a, a CTO or vice president of engineering or something like that? And so, I, you know, fortunately, thanks to my uh, visibility in the community, I just made this one little tweet about, you know, moving on from Pluralsight and blam, it was like 50 companies reached out to me. I had two or three interviews for a day for like a month and talked to a bunch of, you know, really good companies. But uh, eventually, thanks to some advising from some good friends, I ended up just reaching out to the companies I wanted to be part of. And HashiCorp was right up there. Definitely had used Vagrant for a long time, even for before HashiCorp was around at a company, knew about Terraform for, you know, scripting the creation of your cloud infrastructure or even your Heroku apps and add-ons and all that kind of stuff. And at the time, they didn't have an official education department, but they were just about at the time of needing that. And they're like, yeah, why don't you come on board and let's see what we can do. So for the first year or so, I was doing a lot of creating content, um, full-day classroom curriculum and some online uh, guides, and then fortunately been able to hire just an amazing team. And we've got about a dozen uh, education staff right now creating videos, textual project-based guides, interactive in-browser experiences, um, as well as like we're working on some certifications, which we're going to launch shortly and um, just helping people get on with uh, cloud infrastructure and learning how to use the HashiCorp tool set. As I, as I said at the beginning, I, I think of you as an entrepreneur and a teacher, and I was really interested in like how you're coding today. How are you programming? I, I know that you have a, a designer chops as well. So like, how do you keep all of that experience going? You know, I love learning and I'm, I will often react, relax by trying to pick up some new skill or read a new book or watch a new video on something, which for a lot of people can be exhausting. And it is, but but that's fulfilling. The downside of constantly learning is you can't use everything you know at all times. I remember in uh, like 2003 and four, I worked at a English speaking school as a IT director uh, in Taiwan and I learned how to completely script and automate a whole Windows 98 network, you know, and I've never used that skill since then. So, you know, in my in my career too, I've left behind a lot of things that I could do and I definitely enjoy design, but um not not doing so much of that actively anymore, but uh fortunately I am still able to write some code. Um recently I've really loved the Go language especially for teaching because you can write a demo application that's like a backend. It's got HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. You can have WebSockets for this really um, 
live kind of interactive debugging type of thing. And then you compile this all into like a single binary that can be put into a container. It can be compiled for Mac, Windows, or Linux. And I've been coding up some some different demo apps as well as working on our our platform. Uh, we have their learn.hashicorp.com and trying to make just the best educational experience out of that. So as a new developer, can you tell me how I can improve my skills today? You're an educator. I think that you could probably help me with that. It's been great to be in education because you not only try to connect with people with how they want to learn, but then you can see some analytics and talk to people and see what actually works for a, a large number of people. And so at HashiCorp, we found a lot of beginners love video because especially if it's just like, here's five minutes of someone actually walking through a demo that we're going to then show you the, the text and the code for. It gives people that confidence. They can watch watch it being done and see what's coming ahead and then go ahead and do it themselves. So um, probably not surprising, but I would say go go watch videos. It's a great way to um, to learn about it. And, you know, if depending on the teacher, you'll learn about their personality or, or little tips and tricks and, and things like that. Um, another thing I love to do, and whether I'm learning something new or when I was learning code the first time, was just reading code. One of the education engineers on our staff, uh, Judith Maldick, says that code is the only thing where we try to write it before we read it. If you were going to learn French or Spanish, you know, probably you would want to read some words or read some sentences first. But with code, we want to get in there and just like write it immediately, um, you know, which which can be good. But I love reading code. Um, kind of when I was getting started with Ruby on Rails, I went through and read every last API doc that was written. I read some of the framework code and, you know, it's, it's a good way just to understand how people use the language and the best best ways to do things or, or how it should look. So in that same vein as as I'm a new developer, you know, HashiCorp is well well known. There's all kinds of great developers that are there. Um, presumably most of them are are senior. If I'm a new developer, like how do I how do I improve my skills and like perhaps even make myself known to a HashiCorp recruiter or another developer at HashiCorp so I could potentially work there. Early on in the company, you're right. We were writing some pretty low-level software and needed more intermediate to advanced developers. But in the last year plus, we we have a number of associate level openings and we've brought people in at, at uh, earlier levels of their career. And many of them have done extremely well, whether it's writing code or uh, operations, you know, SRE type roles or whatever. And so uh, we have, have more of those roles, but certainly it helps if people can demonstrate something that they've done online. So GitHub or any kind of uh, source publishing system like that is fantastic. Blogging, um, actually put an app up on Heroku that you've made and, hey, show us the code that you used to do it is a great thing as well. That puts you head and shoulders above um, as far as applying for a job at HashiCorp or anywhere else, I'm sure. Um, You know, I think for experienced developers to reach beyond the edges of what you know. So if you can just get pushed to Heroku, well, maybe see what it's like to write your own build pack and 
what's involved in that? You can do it pretty simply with just a, a couple lines of YAML or whatever, and and then you can go on from there. Or maybe you can click around to create an app. Well, what if you script that with Terraform? You know, it's kind of expanding those edges. And I think that's what's helped me a lot in my the things I've learned is once I was able to do something, I started to see what else orbited around and um, how far could I learn the, the pieces that got me there to these initial kind of simple demos. With the mindset of like an advanced developer, you know, I can think of two times in my career that I got a level up. Um, one was actually learning Ruby and I knew that I was going to be doing Rails, but I knew that I should learn Ruby first and and read through the Pickaxe book, you know, cover to cover. And another 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 book that helped me level up in my career, it was the refactoring book, Martin Fowler's refactoring book. I learned some new patterns on on looking at code from that. So do you have any thoughts on as a as a senior developer, like how I could improve my skills? You know, I think there's a an element of a lot of programming communities now to where it's not just about getting a task done, but it's also about doing it well and best practices and that type of thing. So I think that's uh, available a lot more in communities. So definitely um, draw on that. One thing I did appreciate early on about Ruby on Rails is it didn't invent any of these things, but it was strong into test-driven development. And, you know, that's how I learned how to do it. And there were a lot of people in the community that you could could ask who were glad to help you get started. Um, it was big into documentation. And so you could either use that as a way to contribute or as a way to learn. And so f- finding those best practices. And to me, it's also about like, can you not only like write code, but can you build it in a way that you can collaborate? And that's a lot of, especially the enterprise HashiCorp tools are all around collaboration because we realize if you can just write something solo, that's a certain level of maturity for yourself as an individual. But if you want to move on in your career, you got to be able to write code together with other people. So is it getting your code up on GitHub and having some kind of workflow that other people can contribute to? Or is it like collaborating on deploying a a Roku app with a couple different people? Or is it building your application in a way that there's this easy onboarding process? Um, I was in a situation where I had to hand off a application to somebody else and 24 hours later, without even talking to me, they had the thing built up and running and they were able to enhance it and add new features. And I think part of that is I had a good readme. I had a good make file or kind of bootstrapping script. Uh, It pulled in any dependencies. And so, you know, some of these best practices, not only around yourself and and your own skills, but how you collaborate with other people, I think are another, another big level of, uh, of skilling up. That, that reminds me too, do you participate in meetups and and still participate in a lot of conferences? When I was uh, running Peep Code, I was lucky that most of the conferences I went to were ones that I was speaking at or participating in somehow. And uh, that's still the case at HashiCorp. We're up to three major conferences around the world. We just announced one in Australia that's going to happen in April. So in the last two years, most of the conferences have been our own HashiCorp conferences uh in the u.s in amsterdam and now in australia um 
I also love the uh, the Write the Docs conference in Portland. It's probably like the other single conference that I've gone to the most. And you got a lot, a lot of people doing documentation for technical products or even like firefighters and emergency response teams talking about how they document these different systems so that it, like a, a new wildfire individual comes on board how do they learn how to like make the right decisions and use all the tools and communicate to the the people that they need to so love that conference and then at the moment i tend to just kind of pick and choose with uh different meetups around in seattle so occasionally i'll go to some some ruby ones i'll go to javascript i'll go to some infrastructure type ones lots to choose from so do you have any other things that you'd like to talk about one of the things I love about the open source community is that, yes, we want to m- make a good life and career for ourselves, but it's not competitive. And it's a lot of like, let's help everybody get better and uh, improve themselves. And I think, you know, so one thing I love about education and the whole developer tools community is just like, there's still a huge need for it out there. So I felt like it was this huge achievement to get to like 10,000 Twitter followers and feel like I had a, a community that I could talk to. And now I look at people who are, who are doing well with that and, you know, 100,000, 200,000 followers. And so, you know, it can feel like there's a lot of competition out there, but there's still a dearth of good original content. Anybody who can get out there and write a blog article, you know, make a video, um, speak at a meetup. It's a great way for you to learn. And if there's anything you're learning, it's probably the case that somebody else is going to need that too. So I would just encourage anybody listening to this, um, if you want to get into education or if you just want to learn better yourself, like go out there, create some original content, talk about what you're, you're doing. Um, still a huge need for that. Uh, one last thing. Um, I, I saw that you were featured in the, why the lucky stiff documentary that was recently released. And, um, I'm not sure if everybody knows about why the lucky stiff he's a somewhat famous rubyist from back in the day um can you talk a little bit about his impact i know that he also showed up and announced at a seattle rb barbecue that you hosted one time yeah i was uh i dialed up his his blog one day and here i was in the sidebar of like hey here's a list of of, of other people you should go read. And that felt like this huge achievement to me that was like getting an Oscar or something like that. Um, and you know, yeah, I was able to, to meet him a couple of times. Uh, one of the things I still remember is he, he told me, he was like, yeah, the internet's so funny. You just make a video or r- write a book in your basement and put it up on the internet. And suddenly people around the world read it and they, they know who you are. And I've definitely experienced that, but one time he showed up to my basement, which was I was hosting a party for Ruby developers just in my backyard one summer. And uh, it wasn't really even like a RSVP thing. It was just like, hey, here's a date and time. Come out here and and uh, let's hang out. Um, and suddenly he just shows up. I didn't even know he was in the Seattle area. And, you know, of course, people are excited and had, had a conversation because even though he was this very public feature on the internet you didn't have a lot of like personal interaction with him that often so it was fun to see him at the event but the funny thing though is when he left is um you know we i think most of the party had wrapped up and i was like hey do you need a a ride somewhere glad to 
take you, drive you out to a bus stop or take you home or whatever. But he was very, you know, very private. He's like, no. And he's like, I don't even want you to look at me going out the door, which way I walk down the sidewalk. I will just find my way and I will just take care of that for myself. So I don't know. For all I know, he, he stepped out and jumped into a UFO and, and disappeared. <laughs> yeah. So I really appreciate your time and sharing your experiences with us. Thank you for being a guest on Kodish. Absolutely. And uh, should say that my team at HashiCorp is always hiring. So if you're, if you uh, love teaching, love in education, would, uh, would love to talk to you. Uh, HashiCorp.com slash jobs. Thanks, Jeffrey. All right. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Codish podcast. Codish is produced by Heroku, the easiest way to deploy, manage, and scale your applications in the cloud. If you'd like to learn more about Codish or any of Heroku's podcasts, please visit heroku.com slash podcasts. 